Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, Righteous, ratchet, and real. Real, real. I feel exposed. Okay. Welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. This podcast is for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye the church. We're three friends balancing the secular and sacred, the righteous and ratchet, as we discuss current topics through a gospel lens. We might say some things we're not supposed to. But you are probably thinking it anyway. You know how we say in the church. Charge to our head and not our heart. We're going to keep it real. Great day, good people. Welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. We greet you today with peace, love, and joy, and maybe a little bit of hair grease too. Come on, y'all. Say hello and good afternoon and good morning and all of that, ladies. Say hello to the people. Hey, y'all. It's Keisha. Hey, it's Renee. And of course, I am Greta, and we are beginning a new series today focused and called around hard conversations, the conversations that are being had, but no one really wants to talk about. That sounds like it doesn't make sense, but believe me, it makes perfect sense. Uh, There's some things going on in the church um, where we have the right to remain silent, but Mm -hmm. honestly and truly, somebody really ought to say something. And if we're totally honest, people are already having the conversation. There might be behind closed doors. There might be out on the parking lot. But the conversations are being had. And so we want to engage in some of these conversations in a thoughtful way and and bring in maybe not so much a different perspective, but just to name some stuff and to be honest about some things. Um, And and we want to name in advance that this is not about being messy Uh, This is not about us putting our mouth on or against the people of God, the servants of God, because I'm going to tell you now, I I don't play with that. (laughs) I don't play with that. Um, But we really do want to engage and try to have some thoughtful discussions around some of the stuff that's going on in the church, um, because we have been silent for too long. And so this is your opportunity as well. Uh, I'm calling you to triple our family. This is your opportunity as well, Triple R family, to go on a Facebook page and tell us what you think. Engage with us as we're going through these conversations and laying out these topics. We want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So don't forget to go on to the Facebook page and let us know what you think. Well, today, um, the topic we want to discuss is people who use the church as a commodity, people who commodify the church or the gospel. And and another simpler way of putting it would be people who pimp the church. Yes, P-I-M-P, people who pimp the church for Mm. their own personal gain. We know it's real. We know it's happening. Uh, As a matter of fact, it's been in the news recently. We've all heard about the fiasco, the registration, the prayer conference 
that will cost people the low, low price of $1,499.99. Yeah, I'm being facetious because that ain't low. Uh, and if I had that, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing that with it. So, <laughs> but I have a confession. I have a confession. Back in the day when I was called into ministry, into the preaching ministry, that was around 2001. Um, I really didn't have anybody to look for guidance. You know, a woman in ministry, Lexington, Kentucky, wasn't nobody having that. And um, being completely green and experienced, I was looking for that not set, not necessarily a role model, but that individual I could identify with and look to. And I'm not sure how the recommendation came or where it came from, but I found myself looking at the ministry of Juanita Bynum. Um, no More Sheets had been released not too long, um, around that time somewhere. And uh, she was in the limelight. I followed her ministry, I attended conferences that either she had or she was at. Um, I remember very vividly of a conference I had I attended in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, and I thought she was phenomenal. I, th I thought she was gifted. I thought she was anointed. And, and I'm not saying she's not. I, I just think there's a big difference in the person I was now, then and the person I am now. And looking at her ministry. And then, of course, we know she got married. I'm sure you remember the wedding. It was on TV, if I'm not mistaken. And it was absolutely gorgeous. It was laid out. And, you know, at that time, I'm like, oh, these these beautiful people of God. And we saw how that ended. And so, <laughs> you know, there were, that was a red flag. That was a huge red flag for me. And not the divorce itself, but I just believed at that time and for where I was that if you were that deep into God, why didn't God show you and what was going on, what was there? And, and there were just, there started to be these inconsistencies that I couldn't let go of. And eventually I signed off on Juanita Bynum. And so um, that's kind of my little story with her. But how do what do we do and and how do we how do we reconcile um those who we've held in high esteem what do we do when those people fall or exhibit behavior that is inconsistent with the message they have preached and i'm not just Juanita Bynum i'm thinking Eddie Long i'm thinking Jimmy Swagger uh mm -hmm. Jim and was it Jim and Tammy Faye Baker uh, the whole Jim Jones fiasco back in the 70s. And even recently, Dave Ramsey. Um, I'm sure everybody who's listening has heard of Financial Peace University. He came out and it was said that he believes in engaging in some type of sexual practices that that just really don't gel with what we believe in, in practice as Christians. And so, you know, what do we do when we hear these things, ladies? How do How do you reconcile with that you know when when people who have been held in this light and on these pedestals they fall and they fall hard usually um what do you think ladies well well the first um i'm glad that you named more than just juanita bynum because we want we never wanted to be said that we were picking on a sister uh on our podcast that's not how we roll that's not how we get down and yeah. furthermore uh, this whole notion of uh, commodifying the gospel or the church has 
been going on for, for way before Juanita Bynum's time. So thank you for naming those other folks. Um, I remember watching the movie not too long ago. Um, I think it's called Tammy Faye or Tammy um, mm -hmm. on HBO. And it was really a, a, an interesting look into the life of Tammy Faye and Jim Baker. What struck me was the fact that they were so hungry and thirsty for God when they originally met. Um, and then contrasting that with how they, they ended up really mm -hmm. is just fascinating because it goes to show the arc of someone's life mm -hmm. and the, what couldn't can be the arc of someone's faith journey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I took heart that they did not start out to be people who uh, basically pimped the church. They didn't start out that way. So that tells me in terms of um, viewing people who have fallen from grace in that way that, you know, it is an issue of grace that, mm -hmm. you know, these are still human beings. We are all susceptible to, to sin and to fall short in that kind of way. What's sad, though, is that there was no one really holding them accountable, mm. right? Um, and it's you, you kind of wonder, okay, when should someone have stepped in? Where, where exactly in their story did they go wrong? So, yeah, you know, I, I always, I hate to hear these stories about saints falling uh, in this way, particularly because as a minister, as a pastor, you know, it's hard enough to get people to follow the gospel. It's hard enough. But you got folks out here wilding. It's like, dang, you, <laughs> you're giving all the rest of us a bad name. Stop it. Quit it. Right. You know. They wild like, and running. <laughs> yeah, they wild. And they out here just doing all kinds of things. And it's like, y'all, for real. Yeah. This, is, this, this vocation is hard enough. Mm. So... I view people, you know, with a lot of grace, but then at the same time, a lot of frustration. Cause I'm like, y'all mm -hmm. are not helping the cause of Christ. Y'all are not helping your co-laborers in Christ right. by, by doing these things, you know, right. and worst of all, you're fleecing the people of God. So, right. Yes. That part, that part. Yeah. Takesha, yeah. what you say? So I agree completely with what you said is that oftentimes we can look at these people and and look at that moment and think that's the totality of who they were and miss out on who, you know, they genuinely were as people. And I think we have to name the fact that even politicians, there's so many people that get into the game hungry to change things and to be different. But then you get in and it's so easy to be swayed into being different people in terms of how I deal with it. I don't know that I'm always as kind as you are, Rane. And so this is a message to me as well. Don't go dragging the people through the streets quite so readily. But um, it is for me, I think the, the, maturity level that I have right now is that I can actually separate the people from the mm -hmm. gospel. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where a lot of people struggle is the fact that because they are representing the gospel, when they mess up, people associate that with the church. They associate that with the larger message and they're just like, I'm out. See, they fake and just mm -hmm. spread that across the board. And, but my level of maturity now is to hold those particular people 
accountable for their actions and to not use that as something that is a reflection of the larger church or not to see the value in the larger church. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the other aspects for me in this conversation is that when I look at people with mega platforms, we uh, uh, just assume that they are a certain person and we have to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. We have to stop mm -hmm. assuming that just because people, you know, become a household name means that their faith practice in and of itself is a reflection of my faith practice because Dave Ramsey, honestly, if we're talking about people, I, mm -hmm. you know, his sexual stuff ain't the only thing that I have an issue with, you know? And so just because you say Jesus is who you follow does not mean that our understanding of the gospel is the same. And so that is another aspect that I try to take into not elevating people to the level where I think that they are you know, without blemish and without fault, because let me tell you, you're going to be hurt every time if, if you do that. And so, <laughs> you know, I just have to say, I'm like, I, I can't hold them up. I, I, I personally can't because I, I cannot go through the fall like, oh, my God, I never saw this coming because, you know, mm -hmm. people and it, it's it can always be coming. And so I'm going to throw this out here and it's a little off topic, but we have to talk about it on another episode, lady, ladies, because you mentioned something about having a problem with Dave Ramsey. And, and just because you say Jesus, that don't mean that we believe the same. And that's so true. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm on a field trip. Let me just say that because it was very recent. I'm on a field trip and um, people want to listen to a radio broadcast. And it was, you know, the, the same people that you see on was it TBN or whatever. So if some of those people, I'm fine, okay. But he began by talking about wokeness and how wokeness uh, ain't you know, especially as we're going into this uh, voting season. And I'm gonna make mm -hmm. it short, but I'm concerned about particularly our senior members in our churches who are listening to all these televangelists and people on TV mm -hmm. and are pop. And I and, and possibly being swayed in their voting because, like you said, Keisha, just because I say Jesus and teach Jesus and we agree on some things, that doesn't mean that we agree on them all. And I, mm -hmm. I was like, really kind of, oh my God, I know folk who are listening and ingesting this on a daily basis mm -hmm. and honestly to their own detriment. So we got it. We got to talk about that. Back on tub subject, though. Y'all know I can chase a rabbit. Back on subject. <laughs> That's that Southern is coming out again. I can chase that rabbit. But recently, we know that... Um, oh, and, and there was one more thing. We talked about accountability. accountability. You guys mentioned accountability. Mm -hmm. We have to have a Nathan around us. We have to have that person who can come to us and say, you are the woman, you are the man, you mm -hmm. did wrong and be able to listen to that person and be able to look at our own self and the things that we do to, so that we can be held accountable and repent. Um, and I think that's so key, especially when we look at some of the people we named 
uh, whether it was the Eddie Loan situation, uh, Jim and Tammy Faye, because I think part, I think, now I don't know, but I, I remember in Tammy's story that she tried to tell Jim that he was doing wrong and he didn't listen. So we have to have those people that we trust and listen to, um, especially even us as we are engaging in ministry and, and dealing with congregations. Sometimes, sometimes that praise can can go to your head. It, it can make you think you're doing better and are somebody that you're really not. So we have to be careful. We can all be um, inebriated, if you will, hmm. with that. And so, um, and then ladies, you've talked about appetite, appetite, um, being hungry. And I mm -hmm. remember, I, I think part of why, and I know it's, it's why, part of why I was drawn to Juanita Bynum's ministry and I went to Shambok tent revivals and had the little cloth that he would preach with and then give him out because he was anointed. And if you, if you had that cloth and you, you prayed with that cloth, you was going to get, yeah, I've been, I've done all that. And so, but I remember it was a time in my life when I was really hungry for something more than what I was getting in my Sunday morning church. Yes. And so there was an appetite that I had that I was trying to feed. And I may have eaten at some tables that I probably shouldn't have. Mm. But I thank God for grace. I thank God for mercy um, mm -hmm. and for allowing me to come to myself. Come on, prodigal son, to come Yay. to myself and, and, and have a, 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 a moment of clarity, if you will, that mm -hmm. pulled me back. And so as we're talking about this topic, hard conversations, we know that recently Juanita Bynum, bringing it back to her, she was in the news for this conference that she, this prayer conference that she's having, and she's charging $1,500, and that's $500 off of the $1,999.99 price, where she was going to teach people how to pray when Jesus clearly teaches us in the word how to pray for free. Right. So what is it that we paying $1,500 for that you're going to teach me that that's better than what Jesus said do? Right. Can I just... So when we talk about a pimping, I got you, a pimping of the gospel, my God, <laughs> what what is that about? And, and not only that, but she responded to the, the outcry, the outburst, the anger and says she ain't got time to be dealing with false foolishness and questions about what she knows she's able to do. I, and I'm paraphrasing. I listened to her response, but I'm paraphrasing. And she says she's not going to even dignify the questions about that with a response because she knows that she can pray and get results. And so, you know, I, I don't know, but this whole entire situation reeks and smells of ratchetness and it stinks it's, it's funky y'all I need some Lysol and some Glade and so it doesn't pass the smell test but Keisha what were you going to say I was just going to say like in terms of we're even talking about commodifying the gospel her whole uh putting what the original price would have been and then slashing through to a lower price is honestly marketing 
101. Mm. It is psychological, you know, mm. marketing to make people feel like, oh my God, there's a sale on it. Let me definitely grab it now because mm. it was more. It's worth more. Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself is like commodity and commodifying the gospel because you're using the same tactics and practices mm -hmm. that organizations use to sell people things, you mm -hmm. know? So mm -hmm. I was, I, and I really didn't even catch that the first time I, I, I did it. But when you emphasize that fact, cause you know, just the comma in mm -hmm. a prayer conference, <laughs> breakfast, whatever caught mm -hmm. me. And that was enough for me right there. But then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. She's slashing prices. Like that's what they do for, you know, people trying to sell programs. It mm. feels like all the, you know, uh, workshops that you attend on how to sell a program. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Girl, we getting the deal at $1,500, $1,499, $99. Right. We getting the deal. <laughs> okay. It's rollback prices, y'all. It's rollback. <laughs> She giving us a Walmart version. No, I mean, because there are people out there, there are people out there that, 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 so when she posted her response, of course, there's comments that you can go in and read. People are like, I'm coming. I'm paying the 15. I'm going to pay the 15. I'm coming. How do we respond to this type of commodification? How do we respond to ministers who do this? I'm, I'm watching TV last night and Peter Popoff with his miracle spring water and all the testimonies of people who got the $15,000 check and they paid the mortgage. What? I got some water here. It's Callaway Blue. Can I do that? Bless it real quick. Come on. Let's all I mean, stretch our hands. Hey, I'm I serious. Mean, now, what, what are we doing? And, and so, of course, this also kind of dovetails, ladies, into the conversation about tithes and offerings, which we are going to talk about on another episode. So make sure you stay tuned and engaged with this, with this whole series. But yeah, it, it, it really brings up questions about tithes and offering as well. But I, I want to ask, um, what has been your experience? I've named a, a good number of them, Lord. But what was your experience, either personally or within your congregation, as much as you can share with televangelists? And, and how did you feel about this Juanita Bynum situation? So I had an experience. Oh, Go ahead, well, Ronnie. You go ahead first. Let, let me let me uh, kick it off by saying that um, first of all, Greta, what you named is the ways in which capitalism and our has 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 really shaped our theology. Mm. Um, yes, that's a that's a greater conversation. But this phenomenon of people commodifying the gospel is not just an American thing, but it is yeah. certainly American capitalism, you know, at play. Yeah. We're talking about, mm -hmm. you name marketing, uh, marketing these programs, marketing this prayer thing, you know, come mm -hmm. on now. But um, I will say that I, that I had an experience um, in my early 20s. So for reference, I was not walking with the Lord for, I was raised in church, but I wasn't walking with the Lord for about five or six years because I was like, I, I'm good. I'm I'm going mm -hmm. to be at Howard. I'm going to do this thing, Jesus, and it's going to be cool. And we're just going to talk later. So 
Um, but one day, uh, the Lord said, uh, not so, daughter. I, I need you back here. I got something for you to do. So I got the tap on the shoulder. Um, and I'll tell that story in full because it's, it's a trip. You know, God be doing wild stuff. Um, but I found myself in a very large church um, in the late 90s. Um, I had decided that that's where I was going to go. I rededicated my life mm -hmm. and I was involved in, in every kind of ministry I could be involved in. I was there. I was present. I was showing up. And so every year we had these um, revivals, these, these new year revivals. And Juanita Bynum was a new person on the circuit. Now, this was my first time seeing um, preaching women, you know, powerful preaching women like that. And so I was enthralled. This was right before uh, No More Sheets came out in 1998. So this was right around, I think, probably 97, 96, 97, whatever. So um, she was there multiple nights. And on this one night in particular, this is when I kind of started to, to side eye this a little bit. Um, she was preaching and it was time for the offering. And the offering was at the end of the service. And she said, every time that I say the word give, I want you to get your best offering. I want you to run up here and put your offering in the baskets. Now, it's 2000 people minimum in the church at this point. During the course of the evening, we have all felt the presence of God. We've all felt the Holy Ghost. We done shouted. We done ran. We done sang. We did all the things. Right. So this is the natural progression of the evening. And yes, you know, it felt like we should give because, I mean, after all, we got needs, right? I had needs. I, I look, I wanted to be married. <laughs> I, I wanted, you know, I needed finances. I had needs. I had, I wanted uh, relationships restored with my family. Like I had all kinds of needs. So yeah, if you are conflating um, God's blessing or God's restoration mm -hmm. of certain things in your life with this giving moment, I'm going to give like what, what say less. Right. So she started saying, you know, give, and she must've said give seven or eight different times, right? She must've shouted at seven or eight different waves of giving. And after a while I, I look, I had nothing else. And so I started pulling off jewelry. I was like, I don't even remember if these are real, but I'm Jesus. I'm <laughs> on faith. I'm going to throw these things in here, throw, throw her earrings in. And then she said, give again. And the last thing I had was my class ring, y'all. My class, my high school class ring that had my little signature on the inside. You know, with Jostens had these little specials where you create your own ring. It was beautiful. And I was like, all right, Jesus, this is a matter of faith. So took off the ring, threw it in there. Now, through the course of the evening, other people, now this was wintertime, wintertime back east now, we, we, it's cold, snowing, sleeting, all those things. People had begun to take off their coats mm -hmm. and throw them as their offering, leather coats, mm -hmm. big, thick coats, all of these coats at the end of the evening were aligned way all across the altar. And the altar was huge, way across mm -hmm. the altar. There were coats and I was like, oh my gosh. So later on after the service, I was sitting there after the benediction was over, sitting there with my people, you know, getting ready to get a ride home. And I saw our pastor come out and the look on his face, he was so worried. I could just tell he was so heavy because people had laid their coats out and had walked out into this cold night weather with no coats on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hit me. I was like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. you know, is this really what God was asking us to do? Right. Is this really, you know, giving? 
Mm-hmm. Is this really, really the ways in which God wants us to be ridiculous in our faith? You know, she preached about crazy faith and you got to, you know, you want something you never had. You got to do something you never done. But at what point do we draw the line? You know, it's unsafe. It was flu season, y'all. I mean, it. why would we then, you know, allow people as preachers, allow people to jeopardize themselves? We know people are desperate. People come to church with all kinds of needs. Every Sunday, every revival, folk got real needs, serious things. So as preachers, why do we allow people to, to give to that extent to where we're putting, you know, we know they're putting themselves in jeopardy. You know, why are we saying, you know, your rent money, you mm-hmm. know, it, it don't matter. God will give you rent money. You can give your rent money now. God going to miraculously pay your rent. for six. Come on, y'all. And then the other question is, we as believers, at what mm-hmm. point do we draw the line? Mm-hmm. God ain't said all that to me. God mm-hmm. ain't say, throw that class ring in here, Ronay. <laughs> don't, don't do it, Ronay. At what point, you know, do we not compromise our light bill money Mm. because we have common sense? Mm -hmm. So it was at that moment that I was like, wait a minute, Jesus, I don't really know where these lines are. And it seems real fuzzy in these moments where we're clearly feeling the presence of the Holy Ghost, you know, but we're asked to do things that don't feel right or don't seem right. So, you know, I as I have grown and become a minister myself, I always said, you know, that's one place that I really don't want to be. I really want to encourage anybody under the sound of my voice to use wisdom, to use common sense and to check in with the God inside, you know, versus what you're hearing on the outside. Because them people, they got their writers, right? They got their honorariums already. They're going to be fine. They got their bill money. You know, you have to go home and face your own specific and unique circumstances. So. That's that's where I kind of fell off with that. Um, first of all, that story. I think we all, with the rise of this gospel understanding of you give and you get more, have all been suckered. And I'm going to use that word. I'm going to name it for what it is. Suckered mm. into giving more than we should have in order to get something that we have been looking for. And I believe the televangelists were the ones who made it bigger and allowed that idea and that thinking to spread and become more pervasive because I think there were probably always churches that were engaging I shouldn't say always. I, I believe that there was a time where people um you know, the rise of, of that, that ideology, you know, of giving to be blessed whenever it came, there were individual churches, but televangelists just made it bigger. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about Juanita Bynum and I think about prayer breakfasts that we've done in churches versus this conference, and I just wanted to even start with the conversation there, because I believe that one of the differences is, is that when people do pr- conferences, when people do prayer breakfasts normally, the cost of it is literally about covering doing said thing. And so I believe that has to be part of our conversation because people often, you know, look at churches charging for things and they're like, "Mm, no, I mean, there is a cost associated with it that needs to be covered. This particular thing we're talking about with a comma, ma'am, I'm going to need to see the receipts. (laughs) 
that suggest that this conference is actually costing this much because I have to say, no, you building in getting rich off of it. And I have an issue and take a real issue with using what Jesus has taught us mm -hmm. to then get rich and use that as your get rich scheme. Right. I have no issue with preachers, including tele-evangelists who have other professional things that they do, whether it is that they write books about their knowledge or whatever, but do other things mm -hmm. to make money. I don't have an issue with that, but I have an issue with when you are willing to pray P-R-E-Y mm -hmm. Come on. on people's needs yes. in order yes. for you to get rich. Mm -hmm. It is honestly, I believe, evil mm -hmm. and sinful mm -hmm. for us to actually try to prey on people needing to get light bills, wanting to get out of their circumstances, wanting to get family members healed. And we're mm -hmm. lifting up that as the idea that somehow Juanita Bynum is better at praying than anybody else. I'm sorry, were you better at praying and getting results than the Jesus who you serve and who taught you? Like, come on, ma'am, this is problematic, but that is what they sell. That is the idea that they are selling, that they've got the insight, they've got the in with God. And if you follow their program, then you're going to have what they have. And if we're honest about how they got what they have, it's by yeah. actually getting you to pay for it. You're the one Shit. who paid for their jets. You're the one mm -hmm. who prayed for the lifestyle that she's living, that she's now mm -hmm. telling you that if you come and learn from her how to pray, honestly, the only way you're going to get what she has and what she's offering is if you then find some people like a pyramid scheme to come in behind hey. you and give you because you done learned the techniques that she told you. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, sorry, hey. No, and, no, and that's exactly what she said. She was like, I got, I know how to do this. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a problem to me. Ma'am, right. you do not have the key to prayer. First of all, let's talk about how that is an idol in and of itself. Mm. The fact that you think mm -hmm. that you can somehow create a prayer life that is going to make God do what right. you want mm. to do. What right. is that? Right. Who are we right. serving? Because apparently right. you are God. You can force God to do what God wants to do. Come on, Keisha. God has never been formulaic like that. Come right. on now. Mm -hmm. there, there's no formulas or potions or whatever to, or incantations to make God do something. Come on now. Right. Come on now. Right. And to say to Keisha, just like you said, to say that she somehow has a lock on prayer um, is disrespectful to the legacy of our grandmothers and our grandfathers. Mm. And our yes. yes. Us through, right. Who, who, who lived through the horrors of chattel slavery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk about those mothers and fathers who Come prayed on. their way. Right. To a God that, that, oh God. So, so, so y'all, I, I feel my help. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is. We is preach y'all. <laughs> right. We preach it and we, we preach it together. Um, 
But what I'm saying is, is there is no way that someone can, mm -hmm. can commodify it and say that they have a lock on it when we've been doing this, mm -hmm. right? We, we are true to this. this. This is our heritage. This is our lineage. This is our birthright. Prayer is part of who we are and it's how we got here. So there is no way, there is no way. And I'm just sad for anybody who feels that they need something like that. Sometimes we get so spiritually hungry mm. that we understand, you yeah. know, that we have to be, be very circumspect about what it is yeah. that we're in and ingesting into our spiritual lives. Yeah. We yeah. can get hoodwinked and bamboozled and led astray, you know, and run amok with these preachers and folk that say they got the lock on God when God has already given us access. Mm -hmm. 2007, 365, 366 in leap years. I mean, y'all, we, we don't need to go nowhere else. Right? Right. She literally said, I'm going to put this in a bottle and sell it. Mm -hmm. Right. And folk right. are buying it. Yeah. Right. But sometimes it's not even that we're so spiritually longing for something sometimes it is just our situation mm -hmm. is so bad right yeah that yeah. we are trying to find out what's the plug you mm -hmm. know what's the hookup that's going to change and transform this situation right right and and, and that takes me back to what you all were saying earlier about people being in desperate situation and having needs that they that I don't want to say they feel aren't being met, but, met, but aren't being met in, in some way or, or, or other. And so when we look at the righteous aspect of this conversation, um, we have to be careful because, of course, we are living in difficult times, right? We have to be aware of those who would take advantage of people's doubts, people's fears, people's needs or or the, the fact that they are so desperate for some type of deliverance, salvation, relief. Um, and that brings to mind a couple of scriptures for me. Second uh, Timothy 3 and 13 says, but wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. I think that's self-explanatory. That just tells us that there are going to be folk out here who are not going to really care about the person and their issue. They're going to care about how much they can get out of it for their own personal gain. And then 2 Timothy 4 uh, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires mm -hmm. and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. And, you know, I know in the church, we say that's the day we in that time. Now we've been saying it since I've been born. All right. Um, and, and we're going to say that, you know, if, if the rapture hand come before I'm, I'm dead and gone, we gonna always say that. But I mean, <laughs> y'all see the times we living in. If we can't say that's today, I don't know what we can say. Because it's so true. And to me, this is an example of that. And I want to name again, this is not us being messy or putting our mouths on people in their ministry. Because like I said, I, I'm not about that. 
but Jesus calls us to be fruit inspectors. Matthew 7, 15 says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. And so we're not judging the person, but we are looking. We're taking a hard look at the fruit. And I'm thankful, Renee, for your testimony because you were able to, I guess, when all everything had kind of died down or whatnot in your particle sign moment and God bringing you to yourself, you were able to see the coats laid out on the altar mm -hmm. and, and see the heart of your pastor who had genuine concern and compassion for those who did not even have on their coat. And that, that takes me to the thought that God will always show us truth. Now, whether or not we see it and receive it as such, that's something else. But God always gives us that way of escape. He always shows us or shines light on what the truth of a situation is. And so it is up to us to be cognizant, to be aware, to be sensitive, sensitive to see that truth when God reveals it. And, and then for those of us who are saying to themselves, you know, but sometimes I just don't know. Sometimes when we're in church, the, the, the spirit and the energy is so high and pastor saying, if I do this, then this will happen. The mm -hmm. lines are blurry. The lines, are, I, I can't distinguish what's going on. I want to take you to James 1 and 5 that says, if any of you lack wisdom. Yeah, yeah. We should ask God who gives generously to all. If we are not clear, if we're struggling with knowing where the line is, we have to honestly be prayerful and ask God for that wisdom, to ask God for the discernment to tell the difference. And I believe God will do that for us. And you don't have to pay $1,500 to get it. Mm. Tell them, no, brother. The gospel is free. The gospel <laughs> is free. So these are the scriptures that I wanted to highlight for the righteous part because, I mean, it's important. These scriptures are important because they warn us, like I said before, there are people out there who are not ashamed. They're not embarrassed. They don't care about taking advantage of others if it's going to line their pocket. And so we have to be careful in these last and evil days. Yes, I know that <laughs> phrase. These last and evil days. We have to be careful because there are people who are pimping Jesus and his gospel. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. alive and it's real. And so have have you seen other ways that people do this, ladies, that, that people pimp Jesus, pimp the gospel, pimp the church, pimp, pimp, pimp. I, and in my mind, I'm seeing, I'm seeing pimps that I've seen on TV. Okay. So, you know, the long suit, the color, the walking, what was it? I'm going to get you sucker. The man was walking yeah. around on fish tanks in his shoes. Yep. 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 <laughs> but have you seen other ways that people, uh, that people are pimping the church? So I've got a couple examples here. Um, <laughs> One, I just want to name the fact that um, Juanita Bynum is a daughter of T.D. Jakes. Mm -hmm. And anybody who is 
part of the scholarly community. I'm sure probably um, in your seminaries, you know, they've named Jakes as problematic with his whole commodification of the gospel. Personally, I will not lie. I have heard Jake's sermons that blessed my heart. Mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, mm -hmm. he is a man of God. That's just yep. me. You can question mm -hmm. whether I'm right or wrong, but I do believe that he is a man of God. I do also believe that he has some problematic theology <laughs> at the Amen. same time. Amen. And so when it comes to how he does this giving, Juanita Bynum, I believe, learned from him and mm -hmm. other uh, pastors this tactic of, you know, how it is you're able to make money off of the people. And so I have been in revival and Ronnie and I have already talked about the fact that we uh, we know the revival she was at because you know <laughs> the revival still happens and yep. this revival you know Jake's does and I have been you know like y'all this is the cognitive cognitive dissonance that we mm. deal with you know where you're like I didn't went you know, and sat in the conference because I wanted to hear Bishop Jake's preach. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, like, oh my God, that's the word, you know, like I feel <laughs> it in my spirit. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And then it comes offering time. And that's mm -hmm. when I get tight. And, you know, some people may argue that my getting tight is because, you know, I just don't want to give. I don't have a heart of a giver. Lies, because I, I give to causes and things that I think are important. But, <laughs> but when we get to the point where he's doing this offering, I just am like, you know, I'm here with another preacher friend and I'm like poking her like in the side and we're like texting each other. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to get up and leave right now because this is foolishness. I cannot anymore. But, you know, it was just that whole idea of if you trust God, then you're going to give. And just being on the other side of it where I'm a minister, I understand what it means to bring people into your church. One, they get an honorarium. Mm -hmm. I have seen the honorarium figures that a Bishop Jakes has. I've seen the honorarium figures that uh, figures that a Juanita Bynum had. Mm -hmm. So churches are incurring an expense to bring the said person in. And that cost is offset with their contract where they actually say, this is the honorarium I'm expecting, but then I also take like a third of the offering. So when they're actually asking for this, y'all, I know this may mess some people up, but we're talking about hard conversations and we're getting ready to be, you know, it's about being real about that conversation right. is mm -hmm. that they're getting a percentage of the offering. So they're tying Jesus into the offering and getting you to give more is less about Jesus, less about your need and more about what they will benefit from having people give more. It ensures that the church can cover their honorarium, but it also means that they get a bigger take home draw. And so that is the definition of pimping as far as I'm concerned, that's happening right there. And so the other way that I have seen churches involved in pimping, and we are going to get into this in a later episode, is that I have seen where Companies approach churches 
and they say, hey, I want to get your congregation to buy said product. Mm. And they offer the pastor, mm. if you put this in front of your congregation, I will give you a percentage. Mm -hmm. And so again, that is about personally, I feel like pastors should not be endorsing products just because of their level of influence over their congregations mm -hmm. and anything where it's doubly terrible when you then are getting a percentage of it. So if you are offering a program, you know, uh, get rich scheme and you tell them like, you know, I'm, I, I, yeah, I got the people and you're using your people. That for me is, is pimping again. And so those are some of the ways that I've witnessed it within the church. And it just makes me feel uncomfortable because it just feels real seedy. Well, I, I definitely want to comment on that because even if you think about the timing of the offering, right, mm -hmm. it comes after the preaching, it comes after the, the slain in the spirit, you're, you're high, all it is. And when you talk about the seediness of it or how you got tight at the end of the, you know, going into the offering, I think it's because when you place it like that, and, and believe me, that placement of where the offering is, that's intentional. But it yeah. becomes less of an act of worship and more of an act of emotion. They're trying to pull on the emotion to get you to give. And if, if you've not heard that, and I'm talking to our audience, if you've not heard that, if you didn't know that, that is intentional. When for the people who do worship planning, they know putting the offering there at the end is more likely to pull more out of you because you've, you on high at that point. You in heaven, your head's in the rafters and you mm -hmm. will give to your heart content. And, and so that is intentional, y'all. So I'm just naming that. I, that's I don't have my offering there. I, I no, we're not doing it there because right. I don't like the placement of it. Right. And can I also can I also interject that um, offerings that where you walk to give your offering is also a, a it, it's very purposeful because you want to be people. It, it plays on the psychology of wanting to be seen giving an offering, right? Mm. Not to be thought mm -hmm. to be. You know, either mm -hmm. disobedient to the whole worship, worship through offering, through giving, or to just being cheap, right? You want people to see you. So it plays on the psychology of that too. I've been in churches where it didn't make no sense at all. The offering took, you know, 20 minutes because there's so many people there when y'all just could have had ushers passing the place and it, that would have taken five, right? But instead there's this big show that people are giving. It's a psychological thing. Right. And I think or, a lot of pastors pay, pay pay on that, you know. Or, or how about the this the hundred dollar line? Oh that 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 say that say that the fifty dollar line yeah. and then anybody it with your best gift line. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and particularly mm -hmm. in some churches who will remain nameless <clears throat> uh <laughs> because I'm employed by one, but <laughs> You know, that's that's a big deal. And, and, and then they're like, I need all the pastors. I need all the pastors to bring a hundred dollar offering. I'm sorry. I ain't got that. So I'm just I'm used to uh, not being a part of that group that goes up there. Because if I got a hundred dollars, I, I, there, there are times I, I might give it in that offering. But more than likely, I'm sitting back looking at everybody else. But it's a level of 
and I don't know if it's intentional. I can't say that, but I know how I, it, that has made me feel. Mm-hmm. And there's a level of shame attached mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I do believe, I'm not saying my denomination does it, but I do believe that there are people out there who try to shame you into giving. Absolutely. Which is also evil. Also yeah. evil, also sinful. So when we're when we're at these meetings, at these conferences, at these different churches, yes, pay attention to all of that. And I'm not telling you not to give, but I am saying we need to have some wisdom and, and some discernment and some conversations with the Lord before we give. Mm-hmm. Because we can and we do get caught up in emotion. Mm-hmm. Giving is an act of worship, period. Period. And with a T (laughs) and you know, your bills got to be paid at home, period. Yes. Work that thing out. And nobody's saying, nobody's saying that the, the preacher, the, the woman of God, the man of God is not worthy of, you know, a a salary or an honorarium. We are not saying that because we all need to be paid. Everybody that works needs to be paid. Okay. Um, but we have to start talking about how, you know, these big paydays are coming at the expense of, you know, our reputation, the reputation of preachers and our ability to truly impact this world for the kingdom of God. Like people only will see what's put in front of them in the media. They will hear about these financial scandals where, you know, people have siphoned money or whatever, or these they're getting out these big, deep these big payouts or buying these jets or multi-million dollar mansions and what have you. Um, but it is absolutely compromising the witness of the people who are actually doing the work, you know, in the trenches here. I just, there's, there's, there's so much that needs to be done. I mean, I think the the reputation of the church is being harmed so much by Mm -hmm. this whole pursuit of money. Absolutely. And, and you said it earlier, capitalism is, is, yeah. is, uh, it's probably that beast that's named back there in Revelation. I ain't no Revelation expert, but I'm sure capitalism got something to do with that. Um, but anyway, so this has been a really engaging conversation and there is more to be said and, and we will say more. Um, so stay engaged guys, continue to listen and follow the podcast. And um, we invite you again to go on our Facebook page and, and, and tell us what you think. Tell us your thoughts. We, we really do want to hear from you and we'll engage with you um, in a respectful way, of course. And so we appreciate you tuning in. Make sure if you have not subscribed, go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Righteous, Ratchet and Real podcast. We'll catch you guys later. Have a good one.